you have your Bible, go to the book of Amos. And I was just wondering, out of all the years you've been in church, how many of you heard anything preached out of the book of Amos before? I know you have, but anybody else? One, two, three, maybe a couple. Just interesting, as I, when I, was, as I was studying, I started to think about it. Now I understand why a lot of people don't uh, talk about or through the book of Amos with you. As we go through the prophets, I recognize that you know this is kind of a you know maybe a twelve week, and we'll slide some thing, different things in as we do this. And I realize that most of us don't know a whole lot about the book of Amos. Most of us know more about Moses and the, and the children crossing the Red Sea and, and different things like that. But I think it's neat for us as we gather around the Word of God that we can come and look at some some passages that we maybe haven't thought our way through that I think are still prevalent today. I think there's things as you go through. Uh, the Minor Prophets, and we're going to go through one this morning. I just want to remind you that this one is probably written sometime around uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, 14. It's kind of the time frame of, of when Amos is going to prophesy. Also, it's interesting as you think about what Amos is going to say to this group of people, he is going to talk to a group of people that basically, they, whatever they think is right in their own eye is right. So basically, he's talking to a group of people, Israelites and those who are around. He's talking to a group of people, there is no absolute truth. He's stepping into a society that individuals were basically saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. You can talk about God or not talk about God, but whatever I want, I'm going to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to instruct me how to live my life. Because I want to do what I want to do. And so as you get to this book, and you think about this, there's some interesting things that I want you to be aware of. First off, I want you to be reminded or, or to, to know or learn, is that Amos is not a likely choice to be a prophet. He's just a farmer, a rancher. He's just taking care of trees. And so as you think about his life, I was just looking at Dr. David Jeremiah, and these are some of the words that he wrote about Uh, God choosing Amos to be the prophet. Injustice filled the land, especially in Samaria, as the rich trampled the rights of the poor, and immorality and idolatry ran rampant. As God often does, he chooses a unique candidate to announce his message of judgment. You're going to get a chance to see that God is going to judge these people because of their rebellion. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. Someone who was the exact opposite of the wealthy power brokers of the northern kingdom, a farmer, a herdsman from an insignificant village in Judea in the wilderness, about 11 miles south of Jerusalem. His main crop was fig trees, a poor, of the, just a sign of the poor uh, staple in the land, and that's basically what he was. He was a poor farmer. Amos is usually among, is, is unusual among the writing of the prophets because his message focuses mostly on condemnation. But God knew this man. Amos was blunt, plain-spoken, and unintimidated by important people with impressive titles. He spoke fearlessly against materialism, injustice, and idolatry that characterized the time of the Samaria of the day. Yet Amos did not ignore God's covenant promise to Israel. In one of the most beautiful word paintings in the entire Old Testament, 
is that is in Amos chapter 9, 11 through 15. Israel is assured that God's promise to the house of David, the descendant of Abraham, will stand through the judgment of the coming day of the Lord. It's interesting as you get to this book that you're going to get a chance to, to see three maybe things, as John MacArthur would put it, judgment against the nation, condemnation against Israel, and visions of judgment and restoration. Now what I want to do is, and I want to be real careful, first off I want you to know that I believe Israel and the church are two totally separate entities. You can't link them together. But what I find is very interesting is there's some similarities that were taking place in Samaria in what you and I would quote-unquote call church people that I think take place today. Materialism. Idolatry. Us not really being concerned about the needs of the people that are around us. And so what's interesting as you're going to watch this unfold briefly this morning, God is going to bring onto the scene a farmer. And this farmer is not going to step up and say, hey, by the way, God loves you and he's really excited about you. And he's so thankful that you're wholeheartedly surrendered to him. No, this farmer is going to step onto the scene and say, listen, this is what God has said. And these are the consequences to your rebellion. Consequences to saying to God, God, we are not going to do it your way. Now I realize in, 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 at times there are things that come into our lives, into the, in our lives today, that something bad happens. And then sometimes what do we do? We start looking around to see if we sin. Oh, God's punishing me for this. And I don't want you to get that confused this morning. I want to be very clear about this. These people, Israelites, and the surrounding areas are living in direct rebellion to the truth of God's Word. The Israelites had the law. They had the basic things that they needed for the instruction of their day. But they took those things that were direct instruction and said, I don't have anything to do with it. Totally rebellion against the truth. You're going to get a chance to see that this morning. And so as we open up this passage, I want you to go with me to Amos chapter 1 and verse 2. As we begin there. He said, The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherds' pastures grounds mourn, and the summit of Carmel dries up. Now what I want you to realize is... As you look at this little verse, um, God is going to make destruction take place on the people that surround the Israelites. The Gentiles will pay the price for their sin against Israel. The Almighty God is going to step onto the scene as if a lion were there. And I don't know if you've had any joy other than being around a lion that is at the zoo. Uh, that's kind of tame if you've ever been, uh, just sometime if you get a chance, get on an airplane, go to Peelensburg National Park, get in your car, ride around a little while, and look and see where you can find the lion eating something. That's exciting. Um, that's awesome, actually. And then if you get really brave, take your tent uh, and go stay where they've got this fence that goes kind of like at a 45-degree angle. Put your tent on this side. The baboon will be running around. 
if you've got enough guts, take your airsoft gun and shoot at them to keep them away from your milk and your sugar and your cooler. And then you lay at night and just wait until you hear the lion roar. And then if you get another chance, do some history research about the lions. Go look and see the size of a lion's paw. Go realize the brutality, not in the lion's teeth, but in the lion's tongue. From what I understand, if a lion basically takes their tongue and takes it across your flesh, your flesh will be gone. Forget the teeth. That's just the power of the tongue, the roughness of a lion's tongue. I've never tried it. I don't think I will. If you want to try it, go for it. But God is going to step on the scene, and there's going to be destruction. There's going to be judgment against the nations. And what you're going to see is, and if you go through, uh, obviously I can't do it all this morning, but if you go through chapter 1, you're going to get a chance to see that the surrounding areas of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the surrounding areas of Israel, are going to suffer judgment. They're going to pay the price, not because God just wants to be uh, mean, but because there's rebellion. Because they've went directly against what God had set up. And so for this time now, what's, what would be interesting is, is think about the nation of Israel, and this prophet who's a shepherd steps up on the scene, and he starts prophesying. And he starts talking about destruction is going to take place all around us. Can you imagine the excitement in the nation of Israel? Can you imagine them saying, finally, for the first time, we're not going to be the, the, the one that's left off to the side. For the first time, somebody's going to be, we'll get a chance to demonstrate that we're powerful, that we are somebody. And so there must have been excitement brewing in the nation of Israel. Yes, they're going to pay the price. Yes, they've taken advantage of us. Yes, it's not fair. It's our opportunity to shine. God, you come and put the whooping on these people. And that's basically what's going to happen in chapter 1. God is going to come and He's going to put the whooping on the Israelites' enemies. But there's always chapter 2. And what you need to see as you go through the book of Amos, you'll get a chance to see the word sovereign. You will get a chance to see that word occurs 19 times in the book of Amos. So God wants you to know that there is, that God has a sovereign plan. And God wants you to know that those people that are living outside of the church, outside of the nation of Israel, that are trying to destroy Israel, guess what? They will pay the price one day. They will suffer. God will not just let this happen forever. But I want you to see something. There's also condemnation against Israel. And I want you to see that this is not just them saying a once-off bad word punishment. I want you to see the heart of the nation of Israel. I want you to see where rebellion will lead you. And I want you, as you look through, the, as you see these things, and I'll go through them kind of fast, I want you to be asking yourself this question. Holy Spirit, is there any rebellion in my heart? And when I mean rebellion, I'm not talking about just having a bad attitude. I'm talking about you living contrary to the truth of the Word of God. What you know is right according to the Word of God. Not what you feel, not what your neighbors say, not what the magazines tell you, not what your friends say at work, where you're living in direct rebellion to the truth of God's Word. Where the Holy Spirit saying things to you, saying, hey, hey, what about this? And you're saying, no, I don't have nothing to do with it. And what's interesting, and, and I don't know this, but I just wonder how many people living in a church in America are living in direct rebellion to the Word of God. 
Oh, they go to church. Oh, they sit in the pew. They even own a Bible. But when the Bible speaks, they don't listen. When they read, they don't obey. Oh, they've got information. But it's not part of their lives. I want you to see some things. Uh, Chapter 2 and verse 6. Go to chapter 2 and Amos chapter 2 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. Let me me interpret that with you. I was looking through Walvern and Zuck this week. The first charge that Amos brings against the Israelite is that they casually sold uh, people into slavery that were poor and they could not pay their debts. They had the truth of Deuteronomy chapter 15, 7 through 11, where they weren't supposed to do that. They knew that. So instead of embracing somebody that was poor, instead of embracing somebody that might have owed them money, in direct rebellion of to what they know was true. See, there's no waffling here. They knew the truth. In direct rebellion... They sold those people instead of allowing them to become their indentured servant, allowing them to become their slave, allowing them to work for the individual so they could pay that off. You know what they did? They sold them as a slave. Hey, get out of here. You're no worth worth to us. That was the first one. In chapter 7, there's two more. In chapter, I'm not chapter 7, in chapter 2, verse 7, Amos accused accusation against Israel was that the legal procedures were perverted to exploit the poor. Contrary to the covenant commands that the courts were using, they were denying justice to the oppressed. So in their court system, the way that they were going to deal with people in in chapter 2 and verse 7, instead of dealing people with them fairly, they were working with them unjustly. Now you say, that's you know what, that's not really rebellion, okay? Let's go to the the end of chapter 2 and verse 7. And a man and his father resorted to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. The third crime was that fathers and sons were enjoying a physical relationship with the same girl. That's how far their rebellion had went. So no longer were there men in that society saying, you know what, God has given me a gift. A partner, a spouse, a friend. I don't know how all this thing works. I can't, I can't uh, explain it away to you. What I understand from the text is that these men in this society, inside an opportunity where they knew Deuteronomy, they knew the law, they knew truth. And a dad would say to a son, hey, just go enjoy her. I already went and visited her. You go on too. So the concept of a dad being faithful was gone. Direct rebellion. A concept of something they knew was true. Nope. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine. Well, you give it 20 more years in America, it's probably where we're going to be. But, Dad, where will we be? 
Will we be at home caring for our wives, encouraging our boys to do something different? Say, you know what? It's just the time. Just go enjoy yourself. Yeah, it's no big deal. And what I want us to, to be very careful in, rebellion just doesn't happen tomorrow morning. It's not like you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, oh, well, that's all about me today. It's a slow thing. One step. One step. One step. One step. And that one first step is really us saying, you know what, God? I don't need you in that area of my life. You know, God, it's a book, it's a Bible, it's, it's old. You know, nobody's going to know. That's the first step. The fourth thing, the fourth condemnation, the accusation, however you want to put that. The fourth one, God, and that comes out in chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, on garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar, and in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been uh, fined. So in, in the fourth accusation is that God's um, law restricted made restrictions on items that were, be, were to be taken as collateral. And these, these Israelites were taking the cloaks of poor people as collateral. And so then at nighttime, these poor people didn't have to have the clothing to stay warm. Yet the people openly and fragrantly were lying down with the forbidden garments, going in as far as their contempt of the law and spread around them as sacrifices at feasts at altar. The last two are just quick. I'll give them to you. Uh, verse At the end of verse 8 is their, their fifth rebellion was against the most, base, most basic stipulation of all they were worshiping other gods. And it came to the point where they were not just worshiping other gods, they were taking their drinks and they were toasting them to other gods. Now, you would think, as you would go through Israel's history and... I know that some years removed from where we are, from when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and in the wilderness, and Aaron decided to build a calf, and they're going to sacrifice and worship the golden calf, and Moses is going to come back down, and he's going to burn up that golden calf, and they're going to crush it all up, and then they're going to make the Israelites drink it, and people are going to die. But you would think that that would have passed on from generation to generation. And you would think that there would be somewhere, some, something in that generation would be saying, no, wait a minute, hold on a second. I remember that story. My dad told it to my grandpa, to my great-grandpa. However many years down it came, I remember the story when the nation of Israel worshipped the golden calf in the wilderness, and these were the consequences. It didn't get there. It's almost like it didn't really matter how bad the consequences were. The nation of Israel didn't care. They really didn't care. Their rebellion had went that far that they're saying, you know what, God? We know that we serve this amazing God that parted waters, tore down the walls of Jericho, did all this amazing stuff, but yet I'm going to worship this little idol that sits in front of me. That they either bought or made and said, oh yeah, you've got the power to do something for me now. It can't even move. It can't say that I love you. It can't demonstrate a son sunrise, it can't demonstrate a sunset, it can't move the clouds, it can't do nothing, but yet I'm going to bow down and worship you. 
the last two things is, is you read in, um, is in verse 12 of chapter 2. But they made, uh, verse 12 uh, says this, But you made the Israelites drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. So the Nazarite vow, who do you know that's a Nazarite that took a vow? He was a strong guy. What was his name? Samson. Part of the Nazarite vow was you didn't drink. And so now they went so far in rebellion, they said, Fool on the Nazarite vow, go ahead and drink. Oh, you know, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we don't really need prophets anymore, so prophets, you're not allowed to talk anymore. That's how far rebellion went. And I realized this morning that you're not sitting next to your neighbor going to high-five each other over this powerful, positive speech that you've got this morning. But I want you to see something. I want you to see that rebellion's going to cost you. And I know something. All of us are rebellious. In one way or another. Some people are more open Some people are a little more subtle. But at the end of the day, there's not one of us sitting in this room that likes the word no. There's not one of us. Try it, just for fun. If you're married, your wife says, where do you want to go for lunch? Chili. No. I don't want to. She says the next one. No, I don't want to go. Eventually, if I say no enough, I'm going to get... She won't hit me that hard, but she'll make that look. I can tell she does her eyebrows down, and then I know I'm in trouble, so I get that look. Because none of us like no. Because all of us are rebellious. But I don't think most of us have stopped and said, Lord, show me my rebellion today. Most of us haven't opened up our hearts and said, hey, have a look in. What's going on inside of me today? I don't want to be that way anymore. Would you help me change, go in a different direction? I don't think we'll ever get rid of our rebellion, but I think we can ask the Lord for help as we deal with it. And I think we need to be honest. It's okay for you to say that you're rebellious. It is. If you won't admit it, your parents will admit it. When you were one or two, they'll they'll bring back stories to remind you of your rebellion. But I don't want to leave it there, so take your Bible and go to to Amos chapter 9. Because this prophet is also going to see visions of judgment and restoration. and So I found this tractor. I love uh, International Harvester tractors and farm malls, and so this guy restored it, and I just thought it would be neat, just a picture. But if you pick it up in, in Amos chapter 9 and you go down to verse 13... As you see this thread going through the book of Amos, you see, as as Dr. David Jeremiah said, you get to see a covenant promise to Israel where God is going to restore the land through the line of David, back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam. Pick it up in verse 13. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed when the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. And I also I will restore the captivity, restore the captive of my people Israel and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine 
and mark gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out of their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. And I believe that there is going to be a time coming. You can talk about the millennial reign of Christ. You can talk about the new heaven and new earth. But there will be a time that no one will ever be able to move Israel out of their land ever again. And God will rule and reign there for eternity. And so that's kind of the positive part as you end the book of Amos. But I've been doing some thinking. And um, I got uh, a picture sent to me yesterday. Um, And so I've been thinking about you. And at times there's a lot of different things I'd like to say to us as a family. Um, but I think Jim Cimbala, uh put it very clearly in the best way for me to put it this morning. Uh, in a book that Daniel Henderson had written, Jim says this. As a pastor, our great fear should not be that people leave our church. But that they would stay in church and remain unchanged. And often we always wonder who left or who's gone. And I do care and I do love people and I don't like people to leave. But my heart would be broken if people came to Bible Fellowship Church and did not change. That the book that's placed in front of them called the Word of God would be kind of like a book that we would say, you know, for me, It's absolute truth. And what's exciting is, is as kind of even as that picture displays, as the world comes at us and the storm's coming, guys, it's coming. The place that you live now is not going to be the same in 20 years unless God does a miracle. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm excited, actually. I'm tired of us having it easy. It doesn't cost us as a Christian anymore in America. If you realize that somebody is probably, not probably, is being beaten today somewhere around the world just because they say they love Jesus. And all they have to say is, I don't love him. And they can walk out of prison. Most of you slept on a king-size, queen-size, comfortable mattress. I don't know how many thousands of people are laying in a cell because they love Jesus. And they won't walk away from Jesus. They just won't do it. And so I know this is coming. And the only thing that's really going to help you navigate that is that. And as kind of almost like as you think about Psalm 1, those who meditate on the law will be what? Rooted. Why do we need to be rooted? Because the storm's coming. And you're not going to do well in the storm if rebellion lives inside your soul, if you allow it to keep on going. And I know, I know you have reasons to be rebellious. I know you do. We all have them. Something that happened to you when you were 25, 15, 10, whatever it might be. 
There was one gentleman that, after Pastor Eugene retired and, and uh, we got involved in church, and we used to give him a hard time because every once in a while he'd hold up a sign saying boring in church. He'd sit over here and hold up his sign. So when I got started, I just said to him, he said, just so you know, if you ever hold up your sign, there'll be a squirt gun underneath that front pew, and if you ever hold it up, I will walk down from this platform and I will squirt you right in the middle of church. It doesn't bother me one bit. So I told him that. So the next Sunday, he came to look to see if there was a squirt gun. I put one there purposely. I didn't have any water in it, but it was there. So it was sitting down there. And so this individual was pretty feisty. And, and so um, he got older, and he was in the hospital. And um, he was, you know, giving some people a hard time. So I just walked through the middle of Florida Hospital with my squirt gun. And people were looking at me funny. And I walked right into his room, and he knew exactly why I was there. He knew if he carried on, I was going to squirt him. Because I was going to challenge him to finish well. No matter what his issue was, no matter what the nurse didn't do or did do or whatever, there's always something. You know, he just used this one, always something. I don't care what it is. There's Jesus, so you ask him for help. Well, she didn't come in in three minutes. Get over it. Your life's not that important. Relax. If you die, where are you going to go? Heaven. Well, that's a great place. So quit whining. But see, inside there was rebellion. And inside, he wanted his way. And inside, there still needed to be surrender. And I forget how old he was when he passed away, but he wasn't a spring chicken. So even though we have tendency to have gray hair, that doesn't mean anything. We can still be just as full at 70 as we can be at 5. We can still be just as rebellious at 70 as we were at 5. That's scary. So it's in front of you. It's an Old Testament book. Yeah, I know. It's the book of Amos. Get excited this morning that God usually picks people that you wouldn't pick. And God chooses them and uses them in ministry that you wouldn't choose them and that He chose and He's going to use them. I would encourage you this morning to remind yourself that rebellion will cost you. And I would encourage you this morning, as you think about the book of Amos and even your own personal life, if you say that you love Jesus, then you need to demonstrate it by your action. If we say that we love Jesus, we need to demonstrate it by our actions. So this morning, as you leave, the choice is in front of you. Will you leave the same? Or will you be willing to change? Will you open your heart up and say, Father, you know my heart. And if there's rebellion, then I give it to you. I think Paul gave us a verse this morning as we were getting ready to pray together as elders. Uh, Psalm um, 19 is where we were. And he... um, He gave us Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Will you go that far this morning? Will you say to your Father, Father, may the meditation, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in God's sight. Not your neighbor's sight, not what your friend's thinking, not what your spouse is thinking, but in God's sight. God, here's my thoughts, here's my words. May they be pleasing to you. May they be acceptable in your sight.
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather around your word. And Father, as you look down on our family, you know the ones that are struggling with rebellion. The ones that know the truth of your word, direct truth of your word. And they're saying, you know what? I don't need that. I don't want that. So I ask, Father, that you bring them to their knees before you. Father, that our family will be characterized not by rebellion, but our family will be characterized by humility. Father, that we would, we would know your word, but not that we would just have intellectual knowledge of your word. Father, that we would surrender to what we know. I want you just to think about that this morning. Are you really willing to surrender to the word of God that you know? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Flee your morality. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are right, think on those things. confident he began a good work in you he will complete it you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength if you're willing to confess your sin agree with God that what he said is wrong he'll forgive you See, there's a lot of things that we know but what are you living in rebellion to? So, Father, we're here before you tonight, this morning. We don't have all the answers. We don't have it all together. But we just say, hey, Father, work in our lives, please. Change us from the inside out. Are you willing to say that to him today? Change me from the inside out, Father. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather as a family. Use your word and the power of your Holy Spirit to mold us and to shape us in the individuals that you want us to be. In your name I pray. Amen.